you'll turn in your copy of God's Word to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 is on page uh, 101 in the church Bible. I don't know if that's correct, actually. It looks like it probably is not. Ezekiel 34. I'll turn there. Seven sixty three in the Church Bible. Ezekiel thirty four. Before we dive in, um, just a, a couple of words on the shepherding groups, which I mentioned earlier, because it has a bearing on on the sermon and the next couple of sermons that we're going to be hearing together. Uh, so we're taking a short break from the series in First Thessalonians uh, to uh, to discuss the topic of shepherding, uh, the, the topic of spiritual leadership, in particular how God leads His church. And one of the dominant metaphors we get in the scriptures for that is shepherding. The Lord calls himself the shepherd of his people, and then he also raises up under shepherds. There's Moses, there's David, who are called shepherds in the Old Testament. Uh, other leaders of Israel, as we'll see, even some bad ones, are called shepherds here in Ezekiel 34. Um, and so we see this in scripture, this idea of God leads his people by shepherding them, and then he, he sets up under shepherds to lead them for his sake. And of course, we read of Christ, the Good Shepherd, in John 10, uh, which we'll look at, Lord willing, next Lord's Day. And then, and then Jesus, of course, at the end of John's Gospel, he tells Peter, feed my sheep. So he's the Good Shepherd, and he's now saying, you, Peter, you go be a good under-shepherd, feeding my sheep for my sake. And then Peter himself writes a letter, 1 Peter, and then 1 Peter chapter 5, he writes to the churches, uh, the leadership in the churches, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. So we're going to be looking at this idea. What does it mean for leadership in the church, the elders especially, uh, to, uh, to be shepherding God's flock as under-shepherds of Christ? We're going to be looking at that, uh, especially in the final of the three sermons uh, that we'll be doing, Lord willing, on this. What are these shepherding groups? Um, there's a letter, as I said, in your mailboxes about this. It's basically going to be that every member of the congregation uh, is going to be with a particular group, and you'll have an elder, uh, one of the, the two elders or myself, and then a deacon assigned to, to your group, and they'll be calling to check in probably once every two months. That's our goal, just to check in, see how you're doing. They, they might call, email, phone, uh, schedule a visit. Uh, they'll just be checking in to see how you're doing and uh, how they can be praying for you and ways you might be able to get plugged into the church more. So that's what we'll be doing. Another component of that will also be home fellowship groups and study groups. Uh, but you'll, you'll read all about that in the, the letter in your, in your mailbox. If you've got any questions, just speak to me or one of the elders. But anyway, so this series on shepherding. Um, we're going to begin by looking at how the Lord himself is our shepherd. Because that's the, that's the foundation of the whole thing. How the Lord himself shepherds his people, leads his people, cares for his people. And that's why we're turning this morning to Ezekiel 34. So, Ezekiel 34. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he's among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost, bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture, and to have drunk of the clear waters, that you must foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat what you have trampled with your feet, and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns, and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant, David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land, and they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe, in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord 
when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. And they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and no one shall make them afraid. I will raise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles any more. Thus they shall know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. If you turn over to our New Testament reading, Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but for the sake of time, uh, let's... Let's read verse uh, 27 through the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 9, we'll read verses 27 through the end of the chapter. It's page 857, if you'd like to follow in the church Bible. Hear God's word. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he'd come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Lord, we turn our eyes on you. We look to you now. You have the words of life. To whom else shall we go? Speak now. By your word, plant it deep in our hearts, that it might bring forth much fruit. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, Ezekiel 34. Um, The context here is that uh, Israel is having a crisis of leadership. There's the historical backdrop here of the exile. The people have gone into exile. Uh, Ezekiel himself went with a first wave of exiles. before the fall of the temple, about 11 or 12 years before the fall of the temple, he's taken away by the Babylonians into into exile. And now, uh, uh, about about you know a decade or so after that, that happened, it comes to pass that the temple and Jerusalem fall to Babylon in the second wave of the exile. And, and Ezekiel writes this as he closes out a chapter 33 
uh, just before chapter 34, he writes, And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been captured. So Ezekiel... He's there living in Babylon among the exiles from, from that first wave that were, that were brought out of Jerusalem. And he gets news that Jerusalem's fallen. Babylon has captured the city, destroyed the city because of their idolatry. It's God's judgment on them. Where's the guilt lie? Who's to blame? It's Israel's failed leadership, most of all, that's to blame. That's why Ezekiel 34 begins this way. God, with a word to the failed leaders of Israel... Woe to you for your failure to lead my people. The, 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 we see this throughout Israel's history. God, God gives them kings, and the kings lead them into idolatry. Right? There, there are false prophets. There are false priests. Right? Leaders who are in it for themselves, exploiting the people for their own gain. And the end of the whole thing is exile for their disobedience, their idolatry. What do they need? Well, they need good leaders, of course. They need uh, new leadership. But what they really need is God Himself. He Himself is the one who will save them. They need Him to be their shepherd. And that's what we see as we unpack the text. So let's dive in. First, verses 1 through 10. Faithless shepherds. Faithless shepherds here in verses 1 through 10. So, The text starts, Ezekiel calls out these false leaders. Verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. We have this metaphor for shepherding. It's a a metaphor for leadership in ancient cultures and in Scripture. And here it's referring to the false leaders of Israel, the faithless ones, the elders, the kings before, false prophets, priests who, who didn't lead well. What have they done? Well, they've led with their own interests at heart. They've done what they've done for themselves and not for the people that God gave them. They've led for their own sakes. They took advantage. God gives them this opportunity to lead and they take advantage of it and they exploit the people. They, they, they trample on the people to lift themselves up. Here's what God charges them with. Verses 2 and 3. He tells the shepherds they've done everything in their power to, to take advantage of the sheep instead of serving the sheep. Verses 2 and 3 say, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. What's more basic to shepherding than remembering to feed the sheep? Right, kids, maybe you have a pet, an animal, maybe you've got a dog or, or some chickens or something at home. And if it's your job to take care of them, Right, you've got to go take care of it. And the, the number one thing you have to do is remember to give them their food every day. And if you don't, then your parents are going to speak to you, perhaps discipline you. And if you keep on failing to feed those animals, your parents are going to say, okay, you can't have that responsibility and that privilege anymore. Well, that's what happens here with these leaders. God says, you're not feeding the sheep. So you're done. Their leadership is over. Instead of feeding the sheep, these shepherds are just slaughtering them. That's the metaphor. Then in verse 4, God tells us they didn't only fail to feed the sheep. They've neglected to take care of the weak sheep. They neglected to take care of the sick ones, the, the hurting ones. Listen to verse 4. The weak you have not strengthened, 
nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. Those are emphatic words. In the Hebrew, it's even more so. In the Hebrew language, you can put emphasis on something by switching up sometimes the order of the, the subject and the verb and the object in a sentence. And here in the Hebrew, uh, the, this, the, the sins of the shepherds are put up front, emphasized. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. Their shepherds have ignored them. So this is the situation in Israel that Ezekiel is is condemning, that God is condemning through through Ezekiel. If if some of these Israelite leaders uh, saw people who were suffering or sick, they ignored it. If if these Israelite leaders saw people who who were hungering after God, they wouldn't give them the true word of God. They were there for self-interest, not to love and serve. What's the result of all this? Verse 5 tells us, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. Isn't that interesting? Ezekiel just said that he's called them shepherds, but now he says their, their, their failure is so complete it's as if they weren't any real shepherds at all. It, Israel would have been better off without any shepherds rather than to have these faithless ones. This lack of leadership leaves Israel vulnerable. We read here in the text, they became food for all the beasts of the earth. No one was seeking or searching for them. My sheep, God says, wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Dear God's grief as he looks at what his shepherds have done with his flock, his people, of course, we're getting the picture of the exile here. This is what has happened. Um, Babylon has come in and has ravaged Israel, ravaged Judah, destroyed it, left many dead, sacked Jerusalem, taken the people away. But God doesn't blame the Babylonians here. He puts the blame at the feet of these faithless shepherds. And their failure of leadership wasn't a failure of, of skill to lead or or strategizing, or failure because they lacked resources. It was a failure to care for the people God had given them. A failure to love them, to feed them, to lead them. So God lays the guilt at their feet. He says in verse 10, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. So God is done with them. They're fired. Uh, They're shepherds no more. They lost sight of the fact that they were in God's house with his family, and they're just, they're just nannies. They're there to take care of his children the way he, God wants them to take care of his children. And they, they were acting like they could do whatever they wanted with God's own people. So he is, he is full of wrath for them. He's holding them guilty. But then something really surprising happens in the text. We've just spent ten verses here talking about how these shepherds of Israel failed to do their job, their fundamental job of feeding and caring and healing the flock. Uh, and, and this is how a woe oracle in the prophets goes. A woe oracle is when, when God says, here's my judgment against this nation or that nation, here's what they did wrong, and here's how I'm going to judge them. And that's the way Ezekiel 34 starts. Woe to you, shepherds. And we get ten verses of what these shepherds failed to do and what they did wrong. But then... There's just a brief mention of God's judgment, and then God so he, he kind of just turns his back on them and turns his full attention on the, sh- on, the, on the sheep themselves. 
He speaks a word of judgment quickly to the shepherds, and then he turns his full attention on caring for his sheep. The woe oracle becomes a, a proclamation of the deliverance that he'll bring for them. And that's where we turn now as we consider together the faithful shepherd in verses 11 through 22. God's solution is himself. It's always God's solution. The Lord promises his people he'll be their shepherd. And then he tells them how he'll shepherd them. And he says here that he'll do everything the human shepherds failed to do. He's going to do everything they failed to do, and he's going to do it perfectly for the sake of his own people. First, verses 11 to 13, he tells us that he is going to seek out his sheep. He's going to come and find them. This is one of the most wonderful truths that we see in all Scripture, I think. God seeks out the lost that he loves and brings them to himself. We get, we get extra emphasis in the Hebrew here in verse 11. Indeed, I myself, myself there is emphasized, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out, God says. This is the whole story of Scripture, isn't it? Right? Think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Right? They sin against God. And, and no sooner have they committed that sin than they hear footsteps coming in the garden. Yes, coming in judgment for their sin, coming to bring a curse, but also coming to bring the promise of the gospel. God is seeking them out right after they've fallen into sin. And we see it with Abraham, right? This, this moon worshiper, this idol worshiper in Ur, and God comes and he seeks him out and he saves him. We see it with Jacob, the heel grabber, the, the, the trickster, the liar. God comes and seeks him out and saves him. God comes to his people and they're enslaved in Egypt and he, he seeks them out and saves them. He comes to his people in exile and he seeks them out once again and saves them. This is the kind of shepherd that he is. He doesn't relent seeking and saving the lost. He brings them back from exile. That's the focus here. Verse 13, I will bring them out from the people gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land. He's going to bring them back to the promised land, he's saying. But when is this fulfilled? Well, we see, of course, God brings Ezra along. He brings Nehemiah along. He, he, he uses them to bring the people back from exile to the promised land again. But where it's really fulfilled is in Christ himself. Jesus comes, and he says this, Luke 19.10, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus tells a parable about this as well, doesn't he? He says that uh, he's the kind of shepherd who if he has 99 sheep who are, who are safe and secure, he has one who wanders off, he's going to go after that one, bring it back to himself. Luke 15, 4. Jesus is showing us that God's mission is to have every one of his elect, every one of his sheep. So that's, that's the first thing the Lord promises to do. For his sheep. Second thing he says he'll do is he'll feed his sheep. Verses 13 to 15 that year. He'll feed them. The text tells us he's going to bring them back to Israel, to the promised land, and feed them there. Uh, and the focus here is on the richness of, of God's provision for them. He's going to feed them abundantly. It's not going to be just enough food. Uh, it's, just not going to, it's not going to be just mediocre food. It's going to be the best. It's a lavish picture. right? A picture of a garden. Is an echo of Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures where there's abundant food. Again, as we said earlier, this is probably the most basic thing a shepherd's supposed to do, to feed his sheep. 
And the Lord Himself promises to do it. What's He feed us with? How does the Lord feed His people? What are the green pastures? Jesus tells us, doesn't He? John 6, 48-51. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus Himself is the food that we eat. He is the one that we are fed with. We, we, we trust in Him. We, we feed on Him in our hearts by faith, even as we're about to do, especially in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper this morning. We, we trust who He is. We trust what He's done, that He's done it for us. That's what our hearts need. That's what our souls need. Him, if we're going to live, have spiritual life. What could be sweeter? What could be more nourishing to our souls than that? That's the second thing the Lord promises here. The third is this. He promises to be our shepherd who heals us. We read this in verse 16a. I will seek what was lost, bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken, and strengthen what was sick. This is not a shepherd who just knocks off the weak sheep and only takes care of the strong ones. This is a shepherd who goes and finds the weakest, carries it, binds it up, heals it, takes care of it. He has compassion on the weak. We read this earlier in Matthew 9, right? Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord heals. How do we understand this promise, loved ones, when we don't see the healing? Of course, this is... We're probably talking about spiritual healing, that God is going to heal us from the curse of sin itself and the effects of that curse someday. But, you know, Jesus goes out in his ministry, he heals. What, what happens? He heals the blind man. Someday the blind man's eyes will close again. He raises Lazarus from the dead. One day Lazarus will die again. What's the healing that Jesus is really promising us here as our shepherd? Well, he's promising us eternal healing, right? The resurrection itself forever healed. That's a wonderful, wonderful promise. The Lord will heal us as our shepherd. The fourth thing that the Lord promises to do here for His shepherd is protect them. This is in verses 16b through 22. The Lord will protect His sheep. As we think about this, there's two aspects to it. There's a, there's a promise and there's also a warning that we need to see. Here's the, here's the promise. The Lord will protect us. And he emphasizes here, he'll, he'll protect us from other sheep who are, who are acting more like wolves than sheep, who are against us, who are fighting against us, uh, persecuting us, abusing us, bullying us. God will bring protection. He might, as he did in the exile, let the people suffer for a time, but he will bring protection at some point. That's the promise. There's also a warning, though. God is promising this protection. He's also warning His people, watch out that you're not one of these ones who's a sheep who's oppressing His brother. He's, he's addressing the people of God. He's saying, I'm going to judge those of you who look like sheep, live among the sheep, but are actually acting like the false shepherds, trying to take advantage of the sheep. These are bully sheep. 
These are sheep who are, who are uh, pushing each other out of the way to get at the food and the drink. They're, they're sheep who will they'll go in, they'll eat what they want, and they'll trample the rest so you can't have what, uh, anything left. They'll, they'll drink what they want, then they'll muddy the water for you. Bully sheep. And that's what the Lord is judging them for, for pushing down everyone else, putting themselves ahead. Verse 21 says, You've pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns, and scattered them abroad. So God says, You're not really my sheep if you're acting this way. And you're not, uh, you're not part of my flock, and you won't receive these promises of blessing. Verse 16 says, I will destroy the fat and the strong. He'll destroy these sheep who are doing this. So here's the warning, loved ones. Right? The, the warning that we saw already to leaders not to take advantage of the sheep and exploit them, uh, not to use others for our own ends, but for, for their good and God's glory, right? That also applies to the sheep. It applies to all of us, not just a warning to the leaders. God says to every single one of us, don't, uh, don't look at others you know, and, and see, how can they serve me? How can I use them to get ahead? God says, no, look at each other and say, how can, I, how can I serve them? Put myself down for them. Humble myself to serve them, benefit them. God's judgment is on those who are the bully sheep. So God is our shepherd. He seeks and saves us. He leads us. He feeds us. He protects us. But these exiles, right, they're, they're there in Babylon with Ezekiel. They need more to this promise. They need to know that there's an end to this, right? God is saying, I'm going to shepherd you through this. I'm going to bring you back to Israel. And that is their hope, this, this, this promised land they want to get back to. And verses 23 to 31 really draw this out. So look with me at our third heading, the peaceful pastures. The peaceful pastures, verses 23 to 31. Okay, so so far we've seen that the Lord is the shepherd of his people, right? That's what this whole chapter so far has been pushing. The Lord saying, I'm the shepherd. But now, verse 23, we get another shepherd, another human shepherd. Listen to verse 23. God says, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So the Lord has said, I'll be the shepherd. Now he says, I'm going to raise up David to be their shepherd. He's going to raise up this one who's going to be like David, a man after his own heart who leads the people for their good uh, and for God's glory. He's going to raise up this leader. And verse 24 continues this. As the Lord brings together his own shepherding with the shepherding of this one he'll raise up. He says in 24, I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. God's going to be the shepherd. He's going to exercise that shepherding leadership over his people through the shepherd king that he'll raise up the shepherd king that will be so perfectly aligned with his heart and his will that it will be as God himself leading and shepherding his people. And this, this shepherd that will come will bring the people into a covenant of peace, the covenant of peace. This is the hope God lays before the exiles. They're there in, in, in exile. They're longing for the promised land. And God says, I'm going, to establish, I'm going to establish you in the land once again. He calls it a covenant of peace. What's, what's he mean by, by peace? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's wholeness. It's perfect blessing. It's shalom. That's the Hebrew there. God is going to use this king that he's going to raise up to bring the people into the fullness of covenant blessing. 
in the promised land again. Verse 25 tells us they'll be back in the land, never be in danger again. They can go sleep in the woods and not fear the wild animals. They can, right, imagine a sheep that would, that would go sleep in the woods and not get attacked by a predator. God says this will be perfectly safe. Verse 28, he tells the people they'll never fear exile again. No nation will come in and take them away into exile ever again. They'll be secure here in the promised land. This covenant of peace will mean that God's people will never go hungry again. They'll never face want and need again. Verse 25 to 26 talks about how God will shower down blessings on them. He'll flood them with good blessings. He'll give abundant harvests. The fruit will be just falling off the trees. It's, it's a picture of the Garden of Eden that the Promised Land turned into this, this place where there's perfect, complete abundance and fruitfulness. So this is, the, this is what the covenant of peace is. It's God's promise to bring His people back. It's His guarantee to bring His people into this good land. Verse 29 adds that to this, that they'll be renowned among the nations. They'll be famous among the nations for how God has saved them and brought them back to Himself. And then God closes out this chapter here by declaring once again the very essence of the covenant promise. You'll be My people and I'll be your God. It's the goal of everything in the Bible. It's from Genesis 1. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. He is going to make this happen. God himself is going to make sure this happens. So the big question is, did God make good on the promise? He promised the exiles this return to the promised land do come back some seven years later. Some, some of them, a remnant returns. They do get to come back to the land, but they face hardship, they face toil, they face difficulty, they face famine again in the promised land. Then they face oppressor after oppressor. Nation after nation comes in and dominates them. Where's the, where's the covenant of peace that God promised? Right, if it's a covenant, something that God guarantees with us by His Word, where's the good uh, where's, where's God delivering on this? Well, we do see the shepherd king, don't we? It's our Lord Jesus. He's the one who comes. He, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I don't, I don't, I don't slaughter the sheep that they might feed me. I, I lay down my life that I might feed them. He's the good shepherd who comes and cares for them. His, his will is perfectly aligned with the will of his Father. He comes and He is God and man together as the people's shepherd. But where's the covenant of peace if Christ has come as the prince of this peace? Ezekiel 34 makes it sound, doesn't it? It makes it sound like when, when the shepherd king that God has promised comes, the covenant of peace should, should be fulfilled in all its perfect glory. Right? Ezekiel 34 holds these two things together. The Lord will send this one who's like David, this shepherd, who will bring the people where? Into the covenant of peace. But uh, what we see here, what so often happens in the prophecies of the Old Testament, is like we're looking at a distant mountain range. And all the mountains look like they're all part of the same uh, range. They're all close together from a distance. But then as you get closer, the perspective changes. And, 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 and you can see that mountains you thought were, were right next to each other are actually separated by quite a distance. 
And that's, that's Ezekiel's view here. He's standing from a great distance, looking forward into the future. And he sees God's promised Messiah, and he sees God's promised reign of perfect peace, and he sees them together. Then as we come to the New Testament, we, see that we, we get the perspective. And we see that the, the first, the Messiah comes. The Prince of Peace comes. He establishes, he starts God's reign of perfect peace. We see this, you know, as Jesus comes and he heals the sick like we saw. Raises the dead. He's bringing these harbingers of the coming kingdom. Of the peace that's coming. But we're still waiting. He, he, he ascends to heaven and he promises to return and to establish that kingdom in all its fullness. And glory. And that's what we are waiting for. So, so yes, God has, God has kept his promise. If he's already sent the Prince of Peace, can we have any doubt that he will send the perfect reign of peace? Christ has come. We should have no doubt he will come again. Loved ones, uh, as Ezekiel speaks these words to the exiles in Ezekiel 34, um, I was, I was wondering, what, what would it have been like for them as, as they hear this sermon preached to them, as they hear his words promising the Good Shepherd, right? They've just heard that Jerusalem has fallen. How many loved ones have they lost? They're far from home in a strange place. They've, 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 they're grieved, they're angry over the failed leadership which, which led them into idolatry and led their people into idolatry for generations. But then they hear this word preached to them. The Lord comes, he says, I'll be your shepherd. And I'll take you back, and I will reign over you through my, through my Messiah in a perfect covenant of peace. That's what we need, loved ones. Just as much as they need, needed to hear that proclaimed, that the Lord is their shepherd, so do we. Right? We too are exiles. First Peter calls the, the church there elect exiles. We are far from our heavenly home. We are in the wilderness, as it were. We're, we're outside the promised land waiting, waiting to be brought in. We face persecution. We, pray, we face pressure to conform to, to this uh, spiritual Babylon that we're living in. And, and we, have, we have human leaders, human shepherds that do fail us, just like the Israelites had. People who use us, abuse us, take advantage of us. We see, we see pastors, we see elders, we see giants in the faith fail. Where's our confidence? Who are we going to follow? The Lord says, I am your shepherd. I'll bring you through my son to that perfect place of peace. So listen to his voice. Follow the good shepherd. Let's pray. Lord, let us, by your grace, hear your word and do it. Let us hold fast to you, our good shepherd. Help us to follow you faithfully. We pray that you would deliver us. For Christ's sake. Amen.